More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Buck Sexton Show, a deep dive on all things China right now. And for that, we have the perfect guest, Gordon Chang. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, as well as The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He's a great follow on Twitter as well, Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, my friend, good to have you back, sir. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Buck. This will be fun. So the the biggest news right now with regard to China is, uh, and something that came up over the weekend, how worried should we be about Chinese military support to Russia in the Ukraine war? And I want to dive into what that could look like. But what do you see it as right now, Gordon? China has been supplying military assistance from the very beginning of this war, Buck, um, but China has picked up the pace. Now, the Breaking Defense website reports that almost every day, an Antonov AN-124, which is the biggest cargo plane in the world, leaves Zhengzhou, which is in central China, and it goes to Russia. It turns off its transponder when it leaves. I mean, it's carrying ammunition and other high consumption rate items. This follows reports that China's been selling drones to the Wagner Group for use in Ukraine. And from the get-go in this war, um, China has been feeding location data to the Russians. It, the Ukrainian drone operators were using uh, products made in China. That means that China knew the location of the Ukrainians. Um, China was sending that over to Russia, and then Russia was taking out the Ukrainians. That's military assistance. Now, we have a series of statements from Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, and others saying, oh, we think China is contemplating supplying lethal assistance to Russia. Well, they've already been doing so for quite some time. And I think that they owe us an explanation why they think that all of these reports um, are untrue, because obviously um, we are hearing information contradicting what the administration is publicly telling the world and the American people. Is there a concern, Gordon? I mean, as you just laid out, there's already military support that has been going from day one from China to Russia. But is it possible in your mind that there could be an escalation even on top of that from Xi Jinping to provide either just greater amounts of what's already there or perhaps more advanced weaponry uh, or even Chinese training on certain specific systems? There always can be a, a ramp up in assistance. And one of the explanations that I have, just guessing, because all I'm doing is speculating, is that the administration doesn't want to acknowledge the lethal assistance because it's still trying to work with China to keep that assistance to the bare minimum. And uh, maybe people in the administration think that if they publicly confront China, that Beijing will um, increase what it sends over to the Russians. I don't know. Um, that's not a good strategy. Uh, it's not working. Um, and I think that it just mis, um, misunderstands the, the Chinese way of thinking. We have a lot of policies, Buck, that sound good to the ear, like they should work, 
But for decades, we've been applying these policies and we now have disastrous results, which means obviously we got to try something new because what we've been doing ain't working. What is the Chinese interest in Ukraine and in the Ukraine-Russia conflict? I mean, what, what are they hoping to achieve as their strategic objectives? You know, again, we have to speculate um, because I think that ultimately what they're doing is counterproductive. Um, but obviously they see themselves on the same page with Vladimir Putin. Xi Jinping and Putin, they view the world in the same terms. They identify the same enemy, which is us. And um, I think Xi Jinping finds Putin to be very useful because he's willing to go out and really put us on the back foot. You know, the more that we expend resources in Ukraine, the fewer resources we have to defend our friends and allies in East Asia. So that's part of it as well. We're, we're being bled um, and we're being distracted. Now, I think we need to be in Ukraine. Um, because the best way to deter China over Taiwan, for instance, is to make sure that Putin loses in Ukraine. But the point is, we are being bled. And the Chinese, I think, um, enjoy watching this. What is the what, what is your response to the uh, assessments that are out there now from people that there is a, a, just a growing Russia-China-Iran axis? You know, it, it harkens back to the axis of evil speech of the uh, Bush administration many years ago with uh, Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. Now it's much bigger, much more important countries that people are tying together. What do you make of that? I think that's absolutely right. And I think that we have to add North Korea um, and perhaps add a country like Algeria. Um, so you put together a lot of these countries and the world's dividing into camps. Um, President Biden doesn't want to acknowledge that. Um, but it's plain to see. And if you don't acknowledge reality, you can't deal with reality. Um, so, yeah, the world is dividing um, and it is a Cold War. And it's, a, I think, far more dangerous period than the Cold War. You know, people say, oh, you know, 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, the most dangerous moment in history. I could argue and say 1961, the Checkpoint Charlie crisis in Berlin was perhaps even more dangerous. But the point is, we know from the archives book that neither Khrushchev nor Kennedy were willing to use nuclear weapons. We don't know that about Vladimir Putin. We don't even know that about Xi Jinping. And I think that makes this the most dangerous moment in history. And because you've got that large camp on the other side, there might be willing to use nukes. It's just um, we're not comprehending the possibilities. Are there areas of of friction between uh, Putin and Xi that U.S. policy or, or just U.S. action could exploit? I mean, how can you make them less cozy together so they're less of a threat to the world order as we know it? I think that it's theoretically possible, but as a practical matter, it is not Um these two um, just believe that they um, find advantage in each other's arms. And I don't think that there's anything as a practical matter we can do to separate them, except to perhaps bring down Russia. We do that. We drive it out of Ukraine. Um, yeah, it's, we end that partnership. And, you know, people will say, that's extraordinarily dangerous. And, and I say, 
saying something is dangerous is not a meaningful objection because out of three decades of truly misguided Russia policy and China policy, we have created an extremely perilous situation. There are no safe options. And the most dangerous option of all is continuing with the policies that created this disaster in the first place. So we're going to have to think about um, you know, the world in very different terms and realize that it is perilous. Gordon, I'm going to ask you about China, Taiwan here in just a second. Uh, but first, from our sponsor, MyPillow. MyPillow is an amazing company because of everybody listening to this. You know that these are great products. I actually just ordered myself some more of the new MyPillows as well as some Giza Dream sheets over the weekend. The sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They're ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. And right now, the Giza Dream sheets are at the lowest price ever. Sheets come in as low as $29.99 with promo code BUCK. I know, because like I said, I just used my own promo code and bought some last night. So that's promo code BUCK when you go to MyPillow.com. Get the Giza Dream sheets. There's also the mattress topper, the body pillow, uh, all kinds of products that you can get. And, and when you use the promo code BUCK, you get a deal on everything. Just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square to check out the flash sale on the Giza Dream sheets. Remember, MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and they're also given a 60-day money-back guarantee. So check out MyPillow.com, Radio Listener Special Square. Uh, click on that. Use promo code BUCK. You'll get great limited-time specials. But the Giza Dream Sheets, $29.99. Get yourself some new sheets. You probably need some new sheets at home. MyPillow.com, promo code B-U-C-K. Gordon, uh, China, Taiwan. It, let's start with this. Is China, after seeing the situation in Ukraine less likely to invade in, we'll, we'll say, a five-year timetable uh, because they see all the trouble that Ukraine, uh, that Russia has had in Ukraine, or more likely because they feel the U.S. is distracted and doesn't have the stomach for a fight in addition on the, uh, on the Eastern Front, so to speak? I think that, and this is just guessing, um, but I think China is less deterred than it was before. Now, William Burns, the CIA um, director, a couple days ago actually said that uh, China is more deterred seeing Russia's problems in Ukraine. And the Chinese, we know, are looking very closely at Russia's experience. But you got to remember, um, you know, the, the happy talk in Washington is um, the heroic resistance of the Ukrainian people have convinced the Chinese not to invade Taiwan. Uh, because they worry about similar resistance. And, you know, I, I think there's something to that. But we got to look at the rest of the situation. And that is, there was um, a failure of deterrence um, in 2022. Um, we saw um, the coalition that was arrayed against Russia, the United States, the 27 nations of the European Union and Great Britain, had an economy 25.1 times larger than Russia's in 2021. And yet we failed to stop the Russian invasion. Um, that is um, I, I perhaps the biggest failure of deterrence since the Second World War. Um, and I think China's seen that. I think that that reinforces the notion in Chinese minds that the, as Xi Jinping's favorite phrase is, the East is rising and the West is declining. And Xi has actually thought for a very long time that the United States is in terminal decline. So he sees the failure of deterrence. He sees the United States 
not um, still being deterred by Russia because we're not supplying the assistance that Ukraine needs to win. Um, and he can see that the threats to use nuclear weapons um, have prevented the West from actually coming to the aid of Ukraine in the way that we need to. Um, so um, you put all that together, and I think on balance, the Chinese believe that they've got a bigger, um, bigger green light to invade. How um, for, we don't how, know. How formidable, Gordon, are the Taiwanese defense forces in the in the face of a, a possible Chinese full scale invasion? And also, what would it take to get? Well, let's. I want to ask you about Japan as well, but let's just start with how does Taiwan stack up against those initial critical days of Chinese forces in an amphibious landing, crossing the straits and and invading? Um, Taiwan doesn't stack up very well because it has the wrong types of weapons, um, and that's the fault of some Taiwan general officers who asked. Um, to buy the wrong things. And it's also the fault of the Pentagon for pushing on Taiwan some of the wrong weapons. Um, Taiwan needs cruise missiles, um, and it also needs submarines. And um, we have not uh, been willing to sell them submarines. We've been slow walking arms sales, as uh, Representative Gallagher said after he just returned from Taiwan. So, um, you know, Ukraine needs F-16s, but I don't think Taiwan needs F-16s because there's going to be no airfield left in Taiwan, um, you know, after the first couple hours of a Chinese bombardment. We're not going to have any airfields left in the region either, but that's another story. The point is that um, Taiwan can maybe stop the Chinese for a little while, um, but they're going to need help from their friends. Gordon, you raised something I think is important for people to know. Uh, there may be this conception of of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan looks like uh, some, you know, obviously massive air aerial strikes beforehand to try to soften up the the target, the island of Taiwan, and then uh, naval flotilla, amphibious landing craft, and they just try to occupy and overrun the forces. But you seem to indicate it could be a lot broader than that. What does, if you were to, to envision, and I know, look, the Pentagon does war gaming all the time, whether they're right or wrong, they don't know until the, the bullets start flying, right? If you were war gaming what a Chinese invasion of Taiwan would look like, what happens in those first, we'll call it those first 72 hours? Um, first of all, I think that maybe for six months, we don't know that an invasion has started because a Chinese invasion of Taiwan may not start with war in space or, you know, a massive aerial bombardment of Taiwan. It could start with this, the, um, the dissemination of a pathogen in Taiwan, you know, just weaken Taiwan's ability to defend itself with the disease. Um, you know, we got a lot of smart American war planners who say, oh, don't worry about all this. We know, you know, we'll have months of notice of an invasion. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the case because, you know, we got American war planners who assume that Chinese war planners think like American war planners. And so um, I don't know if that's the case. Um, I, I think that we could very well have um, this long period. Um, it's sort of prepping the battlefield, so to speak. We could have sabotage events throughout Taiwan, um, which people may not know or sabotage. 
you know, derailments, chemical fires, all the rest of it, the stuff we see in the US, for instance. So the first the first moments of a war um, may not be evident for quite some time. But when it really goes kinetic, um, I think we're going to see a lot of our assets in space taken down. We'll see a bombardment of Okinawa and Guam. We'll see a naval blockade, which includes sovereign Japanese islands. Because remember, the island of Yanagumi is um, actually south of Taipei. Um, and for a Chinese invasion to be successful, they've got to have a blockade. For a blockade to be successful, it's got to include Yanagumi and other Japanese islands. So this gets really ugly really fast. And one other thing, Buck, sorry for going on. But one no, other go thing. on, go on. The first um, kinetic element of a Chinese attack could be the use of tactical nuclear weapons. I mean, everyone says how hard it is to have a cross-straits invasion. You'd have to have combined land, air, sea operations, which the Chinese have never done in their history. How do you avoid that? Well, you use tactical nukes and you um, force, um, in the Chinese mind, you force everyone to back off because they don't want to get nuked as well. Do you think there's a chance that they would also... Are there any U.S. assets in the region that they would go for with the idea that while it may be U.S. territory, it's not quite, you know, the it's not quite the 50 states? Do you think they might hit Guam? Do you think they might try to go after some U.S. Pacific assets? Absolutely. And, and Okinawa, they got to take out Okinawa. Um, they cannot afford to have the large U.S. military presence there um, left intact. So um, if you're going to go after Guam, you might as well go after American bases in, in Japan. Um, and you probably will have the North Koreans engage in some sort of provocative activity um, to draw off the United States. Um, so, yeah, there's. So, so, wait, so just to be to clear, assume... you, would, you could foresee or at least you, you could find plausible. We'll put it that way, Gordon. I'm not, you know, no one can predict the future. And, and that's very clear. But. You know, it is important to understand what the possibilities are in order to plan for them. You could foresee a situation where a Chinese invasion of Taiwan also coincides with North Korean, what, just military action, maybe not an invasion, but military action of some kind, strikes, artillery strikes, etc., against South Korea. Absolutely, because um, what better way um, to divert the United States? Um, and, and so... There could be all sorts of things that are occurring. Um, and also it could be sabotage by Chinese agents in the US, um, which I think would probably occur pretty much at the same time. So this is not going to be limited. I want to ask you about Chinese influence in the United States, Gordon, in just a second. Um, but first up here, uh, if you're a T-Mobile subscriber out there, they're investigating a data breach that exposed the sensitive personal information of 37 million customers. Right after the New Year, cyber hackers grab this stuff without notice. It could include customer names, emails, billing addresses, and phone numbers. If exploited, cyber criminals can use this information to commit online identity theft. So how will you know about this? Well, you probably won't till it's too, too late unless you have LifeLock. LifeLock has online identity theft protection that monitors the web 24-7 for irregular activities and new account openings. If they see unusual activity in your name and you're a LifeLock customer, you'll get an alert. That comes via text, phone call, email, whatever it takes to get your information, your attention uh, in the moment. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will work with you to fix it. 
No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. I've been using them for years, and they've come through for me before. I had to work with a restoration specialist, made all my problems go away in terms of identity theft. Join now. Save up at 25% off your first year with promo code BUCK at LifeLock.com. So that's LifeLock.com. Use promo code B-U-C-K for 25% off or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Again, that phone number is 1-800-LIFELOCK. Gordon, uh, there's a lot of attention that people pay to Chinese influence in this country um, with regard to a few things. Hollywood and the way that it's clear the media industrial complex here, the entertainment complex in America, doesn't want to offend China. Uh, That includes occasionally professional athletes, uh, the NBA notably, not wanting to upset Beijing. And then some tie-in to Hunter Biden, the son of the President of the United States, getting a whole lot of money from Chinese Communist Party-backed business interests in China. Uh, I wanted you to, to sort of lay out for everyone the scope of how much from the elites on down, what, what kind of control and influence operation does China have in the U.S.? China for decades has been trying to buy off elements of the American uh, society, um, and they've been extremely successful, as, as you've been talking about. On November 28th, 2020, after um, Joe Biden was elected president, but before he took office, a Chinese academic, Di Dongsheng, um, gave a live stream lecture um, in Shanghai, got a lot of play throughout China. And Di talked about how um, China was controlling outcomes at the highest levels of the American political system. He said that China um, was able to get what it wanted uh, up until Trump. It mentioned that the uh, Chinese levers of influence during the Trump administration were broken, um, but how China was looking forward to exercising control after Biden took office. Um, and when he, and when D talked about Hunter Biden, everybody in the live audience in Shanghai was snickering. So you can see what the Chinese think. Uh, also, D said um, there was no American politician who could resist China, and every American could be bought. Now, I'm not saying that what D D's assessment was correct. I actually think it wasn't. But the point is that's what the Chinese think. And that shows you how pervasive Chinese influence in the United States is. Um, and by the way, those levers of influence that D talked about, that he was exercising both before and would exercise after Trump, two things, Wall Street and Henry Kissinger. Just one other thing. The thing about Eric Swalwell um, was the Chinese, and, and I'm not saying that he was treacherous or anything, because um, I don't know. Uh, and I also believe that being targeted by China's Ministry of State Security is not a sin, because that means everybody in Congress would be a sinner. But the point is that the Chinese first contacted Swalwell, not when he was in the, on the House Intelligence Committee, which would obviously be of great importance for China, They first contacted him when he was on the city council of Dublin City, California. That means that they have not just one Swalwell. That means they must have hundreds or thousands of Swalwells. That shows you how pervasive their operations are. So they're going for influence operations, not just obviously at the White House level, but as you point out, 
all the way all the way down and and then on the corporate side because that's an area where you know whether it's Disney or Paramount Pictures or uh, National Basketball Association clearly companies have a sensitivity about to say Chinese interest Chinese Communist Party dogma right I mean it's not they're not worried about offending the the man on the street so to speak in Beijing they don't want to upset the powers that be in China and lose access to those markets how much how much money is at stake in things like that? I mean, what what were to happen? What would happen to some of these companies if Xi Jinping said, no, not you, you're out? Well, we're already starting to see that, Buck, because Xi Jinping has, in fact, been saying that. But, you know, obviously the NBA would lose its entire China market. Um, the, the, the Hollywood studios, um, they already losing, you know, a large part of the market because Beijing has been promoting local films, making it difficult for foreign films to be shown. Um, but, you know, Hollywood still is, is very much on board with um, China. Um, fortunately, the movie Maverick, Top Gun, um, has sort of uh, convinced Hollywood that you don't necessarily need the Chinese market. Um, but this is not only a, this is this is a question of Xi Jinping forcing American companies and other companies out of China. So, so was He's Maverick, not, was Maverick not allowed in China, Gordon? I didn't know that. They didn't allow that movie in. Yeah, I don't think it was allowed in. Um, remember, the issue, though, was um, the patches on. Right. On the Taiwan Maverick's patch on the jacket. jacket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Taiwan, you know, the Taiwan message there. Um, so really what uh, Beijing, uh, what Hollywood was saying was, look, we don't care. We're going to do this. You know, will you let your film in or not? Um, but American films have not done that well in China recently because Beijing has really started to put the clamps down on them. So, yeah, they still have a market. It's still considered to be important in Hollywood. But I think it'll become less important as Beijing seeks to really control what the Chinese people see to a greater extent than they've done in the past. I want to come in in just a second here and ask you about what's going on inside of China with, uh, in terms of uh, stability, political stability, the economy, Hong Kong. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but a word from our sponsor here, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. This year alone, hundreds of gold star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all of the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the War on Terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the Foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Uh, Gordon, let's start with um, Hong Kong. Remember when there were, I, I know you do, but for our audience, uh, there were all of those uh, protests and even some American flags being waved. There was all this media attention on the threat of Hong Kong being essentially uh, consumed by the Chinese Communist Party, losing its special status for all intents and purposes. What ended up happening there? What's the status of Hong Kong and the freedoms that it was supposed to have today? 
Yeah, just for some background, um, Beijing promised 50 years of a high degree of autonomy for Hong Kong in the one country, two systems formula, starting from July 1st, 1997, when Britain, as they say, handed over Hong Kong to the People's Republic. This was a pursuant to a treaty. Um, China has clearly violated that treaty. It's now running Hong Kong lock, stock and barrel, and it has done so since uh, basically 2020. You were referring to the big protests of 2019. Xi Jinping decided that he was going to take over Hong Kong. They did that with their national security law, which was basically called the end of law in Hong Kong. And right now, um, Hong Kong, in many respects, is actually less free than um, the mainland itself. Certainly, it's more dangerous for foreigners because we don't know exactly where the line is. Um, so. Yeah, Hong Kong has been smothered uh, by Beijing. And also, we we had mentioned before, uh, you, we brought in North Korea into the conversation. We, we don't hear that much about North Korea these days. I mean, we did in, during the Trump administration because of the, uh, the outreach, the discussion, um, conversations between Kim Jong-un and then-President Donald Trump. What is North Korea up to right now? Um, have Has the situation deteriorated when it comes to U.S. interests, which really are Korean, Japanese, and U.S. interests in the region? Uh, does, does, Xi Jinping, does Xi Jinping keep North Korea ready at a moment's notice to cause trouble to throw the international community off balance? What's going on? Um, first of all, on their missile program and their nuclear weapons program, those are proceeding... Um, and, you know, the, Biden, the North Koreans will fire off intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those are violations of U.N. Security Council um, uh, resolutions. And, and we complain about it over the last one. We, we call the Security Council meeting. We don't do anything. So um, this really is the this is the United States. We um, are not vigorously enforcing our sanctions against North Korea and more important. We're not uh, enforcing our sanctions against China and Russia, which is busting those sanctions. Um, you know, North Korea relies on, on export sales. Um, that means that they're, they're getting dollars. China is, Chinese banks are laundering those dollars through our financial system, Buck. We know about this, and we do nothing to um, stop China from doing that. Um, so this is shame on us because we didn't allow Pablo Escobar to run money through New York, but we're allowing the Chinese to do so. Inside North Korea right now, um, they don't have a famine like they did in the middle of the 1990s, but there is a severe shortage of food. Um, they, they didn't recover very well from COVID. Um, there's a lot that we do not know, um, but basically Kim Jong-un um, is able to survive and, um, we're not we, we could we could affect that situation, but we've decided not to do so, because after the outreach of diplomacy during the Trump administration, Biden has gone back to a policy you could generally call strategic patience, which is basically ignoring the North Koreans. Gordon, how is China doing uh, with regard to covid right now? Uh, I know that they've had obviously the most extreme lockdowns of any country in the world stretching back for a long time. But I think people were, were pretty surprised in this country to hear that China was still having extreme lockdowns. Well, as of the last six months, what's going on? 
Yeah, China had a zero COVID policy, which was a policy meant to prevent any transmission of the disease. And it was, as you say, um, the most extreme set of disease control measures anywhere, or maybe anywhere outside of North Korea. It's not entirely clear. But the point is that they had these large quarantine camps, daily testing, all the rest of it. On December 7th, the National Health Commission in China uh, enacted its 10-point plan, which was essentially the abandonment of zero COVID, um, and they let the disease rip. And um, even by Beijing's own estimates, about 80% of the population has now been infected by COVID, probably more. Um, by the end of this winter, there'll be somewhere maybe one or two million deaths. We don't know. Um, but clearly, um, this has been COVID. China's had its, its COVID um, epidemic uh, in the beginning and now at the end, as we've seen in the last couple months or so. Um, and, and they'll get over it because this is Omicron. It's pretty mild. But nonetheless, China was not prepared for this. And the Chinese people are pretty upset at the way that the government has handled it. What are the chances in your mind, Gordon, that we could wake up in a week, a month, a year, and Xi Jinping is no longer the Chinese premier for reasons other than his own natural health and demise? That's a great question. Um, um, in October at the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party, where Xi Jinping got his precedent-breaking third term as general secretary, everyone, or almost everybody, um, said that he was unchallenged. Um, since that time, Buck, we have seen reversals of his um, signature policies, like common prosperity, zero COVID, as we talked about, um, crackdowns on certain businesses. And so that has led people to believe that perhaps Xi Jinping is not as powerful or influential as he first thought. Um, the Chinese political system has gotten more opaque, if that were possible. So there's less that we know about it. Um, and we can only guess from these policy reversals that there's turmoil at the top of the Communist Party. Um, because otherwise, Xi would have been able to enforce his will and make sure that his policies were not reversed. So I think that there is a real problem that um, he's clearly the most powerful, but that doesn't mean he's as powerful as he once was. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Gordon, also um, on the American front, if someone told you right now that they were considering traveling to China for, you know, a U.S. citizen for work or for fun, 
are there concerns? I mean, for example, right now, if someone told me, hey, Buck, I, I want to go to Russia. I've never seen Moscow. I want to go to a Red Square. I would say bad timing. Don't do it. Now, do I think they on you know by the odds would be OK? Yeah, probably. But I certainly wouldn't tell a family member or a friend of mine. Uh, I think it's wise to go. Do you have a similar feeling about China right now or are relations still strong enough that American businessmen can feel safe going over there and not worry they're going to get detained for some made up reason? It hasn't been safe for quite some time, Buck. Um, You remember um, when um, President Trump um, sought Canada, asked Canada to detain uh, Meng Wanzhou who was the chief financial officer of Huawei Technologies, which is China's national champion uh, telecom equipment provider. Um, uh, China just grabbed two Canadian citizens, the two Michaels, as they're called, and detained them for no reason at all. Uh, And this obviously was in um, retaliation for China complying with our request for the detention of of Ms. Meng. just a, a couple, just a day or so ago, um, on Sunday, we learned that Bao Fan, um, Chinese citizen um, of, of China Renaissance, a, a very influential um, tech financier, um, was uh, cooperating with authorities, is the way they always put it. He disappeared in the middle of uh, this month, um, and people didn't know whether he had fled or whether he was detained. Um, he's detained. I mean, there's just no law. So if they can do that to someone really powerful in China, they can do that to an American citizen. And I think the State Department should have an advisory on travel to China, which is more than just be careful. It should be thou shall not go, um, because I think that it's not possible for us um, to protect American citizens who have been detained in China for any reason. Um, so unless you're traveling on a diplomatic passport, I don't think that it's safe to go to China. Gordon, um, last one for you. How is the Biden administration doing on China policy in general? What's what's your honest assessment? What are they getting right? What are they getting wrong? What are you worried about? It, it's not been 100% awful, um, but they're not moving fast enough. Um, and they're still issuing, just to give you an example, you know, they're still issuing hollow warnings on providing lethal assistance, as we talked about. That's a real problem, because let me give you just a little bit of historical analogy as to how dangerous this is. You remember England and France were issuing hollow warnings to the Third Reich um, in the late 1930s. And we know that in August of 1939, Britain and France told Hitler um, that they would declare war on Germany if Germany invaded Poland. We know from the archives that uh, Hitler didn't believe Britain and France. He thought he could invade Poland and there would be no general war in Europe. Well, Hitler was the most surprised person in September 1939 because he invaded Poland and Britain and France actually made good on their warnings the first time they had done so. That's our problem right now. We are the Britain and France of our decade. We've been issuing all these hollow warnings to China, Biden administration, and not following up. And we have, and this is not just Biden, this is previous presidents as well. We've taught the Chinese to ignore our warnings. And eventually the Biden administration is for the protection of the American people is gonna have to carry through on one of them. The Chinese aren't gonna believe us. 
This is going to get ugly. This is 1939 ugly. And so, yes, the Biden administration has done some good things like the chip restrictions, the restrictions on selling chip making equipment, but it's too slow. And we are now at a point where the Biden administration is not acknowledging how dangerous this world is. And it's engaging in policies that in the past have led to great tragedy. Get the U.S., the great U.S.-China tech war, Gordon's latest book, also the coming collapse of China, and follow Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon, always enlightening. Thank you for being with us. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Buck. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.